When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 BrandSpark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Week 20 of the Aggressive Progressive podcast with Chris Hahn. Gotta tell ya. 20 weeks, a lot has happened. World's still crazy, though. President at the G7 basically plugging his golf resort in Miami today. Um, That's not normal. Could you imagine if any other president had done that? Could you imagine if Barack Obama... I mean, Republicans got crazy when Barack Obama even played golf. This president, golf is basically his life. And their silence, they suck. All right, let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. You and I as citizens have the obligation to shape the debates of our time, not only with the votes we cast, but with the voices we lift. The people are looking for honest answers, not easy answers. The very word secrecy is repugnant. Clear leadership. And we are as a people. Not false claims and evasiveness and politics as usual. Opposed to secret society. But ours was a nation of the ballot, not the bullet. And a secret procedure. As a people, we cannot afford to let any group of citizens or any individual citizens live or labor under conditions which are injurious to the commonwealth. Black, white, Latino, Asian, Native American, young, old, gay, straight, men, women, folks with disabilities, all pledging allegiance under the same proud flag to this big, bold country that we love. That's what I see. That's the America I know. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. There is nothing wrong with America that cannot be cured by what is right with America. All right. You know, I'm going to play a bunch of clips from my radio show, Chris Hahn show. But I got—I just got to start talking to you about, I, I mean, the nonsense. The non, I mean, look, even when the president acts halfway normal, and, you know, let's be honest, he, he acted halfway normal, but he's, um, you know, the bar is so low for this guy. I, I, I equate it to my puppy. For many of you know, uh, we have uh, recently got a puppy in the Han house. And the expectations for the puppy are very low. I mean, as long as the puppy doesn't pee on the floor, we think the puppy's a good girl. And as long as the president doesn't go to the G7 and, you know, start a war with France... We think it's okay. He did okay. Oh, he was so presidential. No, he wasn't presidential. He was slightly less Donald Trump this weekend. Slightly less. Still shilling for his golf club in Doral, Miami Doral. A ridiculous. The, the G7's going to be at his golf club? Uh, so he's going to make money on the G7. And you're okay with this right wing? You're okay with this. Now, that in and of itself is insanity. And there's been 35 other insane things in the past week, which was not as insane a week as normal with him. But there were other there were 35 at least other things that would have, you know, collapsed any other presidency. Like hereby declaring that United States businesses no longer do business with China. 
I, I didn't think presidents did that. Now they're they're pointing to some obscure law, which was passed in the seventies to fight terrorism. Man, if he ever enacts that law, if he ever uses that law for real, the stock market will collapse like it has never collapsed before. So let's be real, America. He's never going to do that. And, you know, I pointed out to my good friend Stephanie Hamill on uh, Justice with Judge Janine on Saturday night that, uh, yeah, that's communism. When the state decides where businesses can and cannot operate, that's communism. You're going to call me a socialist because I want slightly higher marginal tax rates for wealthy people and I want to make sure that Americans have health care that they can afford and I'm a socialist. But the president gets to tell United States corporations where they can or cannot do business and he's okay. You don't want to call that socialism or communism is really what it is. It's the state dictating the terms of private corporations. That means you have no private corporations. Man, you people are blind. I don't know how you keep on defending this guy. I don't know where this ends. I, I, I mean, it just is terrifying to me that more Republicans are not calling. I mean, when he made that declaration via Twitter, by the way, on Friday, why weren't there more Republicans, free market conservatives out there pushing back? I didn't hear the voice of any. I mean, they are deadly afraid of this guy. Deadly afraid. They, you know, I don't get it. They used to stand for at least that, free markets. How am I more? I, I, I mean, I believe in free markets too, America. I, I, I really do. I just don't understand how, how these people go to sleep at night. I mean, how do they lay their heads on their pillows knowing that they've traded away, you know, 40 years of ideology, 40 years of the nonsense that the right wing has been preaching about markets and how presidents should behave and the demeanor in the White House. They've traded all that away because they're worried that, you know, some MAGA hat wearing crazy is going to vote them out of office, that they're going to get primaried. I don't know. Grow a pair, stand up for something and hope for the best. Work hard. Try to convince your constituency that your way is the correct way and that everything Donald Trump says should not be taken as the word of God, even though the president of the United States has declared that he is the chosen one and also the king of Israel. So I don't know where these guys are. I don't know how they sleep at night. I don't know where they're I don't know where their courage has gone. But man, it better come back. Or 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 I don't know. I mean, look, I for one think that the country has turned the corner on this guy. That he is going to lose in 2020 simply because America's exhausted. They're exhausted. The Republicans in 2016 said well, you can't elect Hillary Clinton. It'll be it'll be four years of investigation. You had Jason Chaffetz promising to have an impeachment hearing the day she took office. What have we had? We've had two and a half years now of nonstop chaos. It's exhausting. I'm exhausted. America is exhausted, and it is time for this guy to go. Anyway, I am going to play uh, some clips from my radio show that I think uh, really fit this moment. I hope you enjoy it. Hang out. All right, so I thought rather than recreate the wheel, I'd play a little clip from my radio show. Kind of expresses where I am on this exhaustion, and you know, maybe even the president might not run. So who knows? I also got a good interview coming up uh, with a guy named Grant Stern. He's a writer from Miami. You're going to really want to hear it. So stick around. Enjoy. I mean, I don't even know how to, um, I don't even know how to describe it, right? I mean, it's just exhausting. The president of the United States is exhausting. And I am feeling it. 
And I am hearing it from people who supported him in the past. And I really think we've reached a tipping point. And and he is feeling it as well. I mean, you cannot deny that the last three weeks, the pace of the president's manic behavior has dramatically increased, dramatically increased. I mean, the Fox News poll set him off, but I don't think that's the only thing that set him off, America. You know, look, let me me go through why I think the president is set off. One, when we had the inverted yield curve about a week and a half ago, and then, by the way, it happened again today, that predicts a recession. But prior to that inverted yield yield curve, The president probably got news that the Bureau of Labor Statistics was going to revise their jobs report for the last 12 months. And they revised it down. The economy created 500,000 fewer jobs than originally reported over the last year. 500,000 fewer jobs. That means... That in Obama's last two years of his presidency, he created over a million jobs more than Trump did. So, America, he's losing grip on that economic argument. There are polls coming out that show almost every Democrat beating him and people like Joe Biden beating him handily. Even Bernie Sanders beating him handily handily. Elizabeth Warren beating him. And guess what? President's got some money in his campaign account, and I guarantee you that they have done some early preliminary polling in states like Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Florida, North Carolina, and Arizona, because those are the only states that are really going to matter. Maybe Texas. I don't think so, though, but maybe Maybe the president has to spend a little money there to stay competitive, depending on who the nominee is. I guarantee you that the president has done his own work there. He's done his own polling there. And he's seen it. Combine that with the economy. The president knows he's got an uphill climb for re-election, which is why, I, look, I've said this before, America, and I will say it again tonight. I am not sure He's running for re-election. What? You're like, Chris, how dare you say this? 18 months before the election. The guy does not like to lose. And the polls are starting to look like like he's a loser. And if the Democrats nominate somebody who looks like they're going to really beat him, say goodbye. He ain't running. And, And I'm saying that that decision might not be made till March. How would that be? That would throw a wrench in everything, right? If March comes around and the President of the United States says, I'm done, I'm not running. And oh, by the way, for those of you pundits out there, uh, particularly liberal pundits, who have said time and time again, if he doesn't win re-election, he's facing possible jail time. You're out of your mind. No prosecutor is going to prosecute a former President of the United States. And if some prosecutor is crazy enough to do that, some U.S. attorneys crazy enough to do that. The incumbent president of the United States, no matter who that person is, including Elizabeth Warren, including Bernie Sanders, it will be their job to pardon them. That's why nobody's going to do it. And I look, I'm not happy about it either. I don't think anybody should be above the law. But the last thing we need after this guy leaves office is another wedge in this country dividing us. Right. Think about it. Think about how the Trump supporters will react to him being put on trial and God forbid convicted. Think about how they would react. And I get it. No person is above the law. And I hope that, you know, all the lackeys around him do time that had that done anything wrong. If they did, you know, if they are criminals, if they've committed crimes, you know, just like Manafort's going to jail, Flynn's going to jail. Cohen's in jail. Other people are going to jail who supported uh, criminal activities right under this man's nose. And quite frankly, any other president of the United States, the fact that his campaign chairman is in jail would be a big deal. Would be something we talked about all the time. 
And I, I hope that anybody who committed any crime on behalf of this man goes to jail. But I do not want to see the president of the United States, no matter how much I dislike him, tried. I don't want to see Donald Trump in an orange jumpsuit, even though it will match his skin perfectly. I don't want to see that. So pundits out there saying he should be tried, stop. Not going to happen. We know you know it's not going to happen. So let's just move on from that. But I do think that in March, if he sees a poll that has the first number being less than a four, couple polls, right? If he sees a series of polls, national polls that have him in the 30s, and if he sees a poll from Arizona that has, and by the way, he's I think he's going to lose Arizona. I'm looking at the Senate race there. Mark Kelly's up a comfortable eight points over the incumbent senator, Mark Kelly, the Democrat running against, um, I can't remember her name, the senator who lost the last time, um, who was not a bad candidate, America, and is not crazy out there and she was a uh, a retired uh pilot she had a lot of good things going for her mcsally martha mcsally i i uh i not a bad candidate not a bad republican candidate you know like you know i, I know all my progressive friends say how could you say she's not bad look not a bad candidate. you gotta you gotta look at the person and say can they win and she's definitely winnable you know but mark kelly's winning because arizona's turned and they've turned because of this president because there were a lot of Latinos in Arizona that used to vote Republican or they would be swing voters. And this president has turned them off. His stance on immigration, not so much his stance on immigration, even, you know, there are a lot of people who want strong borders, a lot of Latinos that want strong borders. It's the dehumanization of people coming into this country. You know, anybody who's one generation removed or two generations removed as I am, sees these people coming into the country and they see themselves in it. I see my family there. I see my family escaping Hitler and Mussolini. I see it every time I look at them. And I say, therefore, but the grace of God go I. And if you're a Latino, a first or second generation Latino living in Arizona, and maybe you're a little conservative, And maybe sometimes you voted for Republicans and you see how they are dehumanizing people trying to come here from South and Central America. I don't know how you vote for a Republican anymore because that seems to be the platform of the Republican Party, even though that might not be what Martha McSally wants. That is Trump is the Republican Party. He has co-opted the Republican Party and this is on them. And I don't see Martha McSally standing up to his dehumanization of Latinos at the border. And that's why he's losing Arizona. And if he's losing Arizona and he lost Pennsylvania and he lost Michigan and he's, you know, right on the line in Wisconsin, he can't get elected president. And I don't think he's going to get elected president because I just think we're tired I'm done. How much more can we take of this man's manic behavior? How much more can we take of it? When he was running for president, he made a point and some of his surrogates made the point and he made it very effectively that if Hillary Clinton's elected president, it will be nonstop investigations. And you had people like Jason Chaffetz, who I debate all the time on Fox News and who I know as a delightful person when I've met him in the green room. But Jason Chaffetz, when he was chairman of the House Oversight Committee, was offering impeachment resolutions before she even got elected president. He said that he would have an impeachment motion ready to go on day one. And it would have been four years of that is what Donald Trump's surrogate said. And and Jason Chaffetz made that pretty clear. I mean, that's probably why he said that, to help Donald Trump get elected president. And the American people saw that and they were like, yeah, you know what? Do we want four years of this kind of like nasty nonsense that we've had with? So they, some people said, you know what? Let's take a chance on Donald Trump. Maybe it won't, maybe it won't be as bad with him. It's been worse. It's been two and a half years of nonstop craziness, fighting, nothing getting done. Not even when he had both chambers of Congress, the House and the Senate. Nothing gets done. And then we got to listen to this guy calling himself the king of Israel 
and the chosen one and picking fights with Denmark. Denmark, our beloved ally Denmark, who's losing its men and women fighting in Afghanistan by our side. How dare he? How dare he threaten our alliances? How dare he threaten the world? He's done, America. Trust me when I say it. He is done. All right. Yeah. I mean, you hear it. I mean, it is it's insanity. And I was going a little insane when I recorded that the other night. All right. Grant Stern comes up right after this break. And then stick around. I'm going to do another bonus piece for my radio show about uh, Colin Hay and Cindy Lauper and the religious right. Stick around. Joining me right now, Grant Stern. He is a columnist. You see him in dcreport.org. You see him on Raw Story. He's got his own radio show down in Miami. Uh, He's been following all sorts of stuff. He's got a book series out right now called Meet the Candidates 2020, where he basically profiles all of the top six candidates. The Cory Booker book is coming out later this week. Grant, how you doing? Thanks for having me on the show, Chris. We appreciate it. I appreciate you joining me, man. Uh, You know, so, you know, before we get into the candidates... Sure. Uh, I want to talk about this prison industrial complex. I was talking a little bit a little while ago about the president's move to try to keep undocumented immigrants, particularly children, in prison indefinitely and letting the ICE agents license the license the prisons themselves. Uh, But you've written about how a U.K. firm with ties to Trump is building private prisons in the United States. And, you know, I just want to get your take on that and see if there's anything, any synergies between that and some of the president's policies. I I would say you're dead on the money there. Um, I wrote this for BylineTimes.com. They're a U.K. uh, digital based uh, news website. And the reason I I published it with them is because there is a strong U.K. hook a global real estate giant that's based in the United Kingdom, which purchased a, a United States company uh, that, had a con- that acquired a large contract with our General Services Administration. Right. They're going out and bidding to do a build-to-suit lease on a pri- for a private, unaccompanied minors uh, detention center. And get this, people, it's going to be right outside of Washington, D.C. How many beds are they, are they hoping to do? It's going to be a 440-bed facility, which to me says it's kind of like a test run for them. Right. 440 is not like a massive economy of scale run. Right. But the, the firm that they hired is very unique because they only represent tenants seeking space. And if you read the proposal, and I have a mortgage finance background, that's my so-called day job right uh, is a financial professional they're using this build to suit leasing to circumvent congress's typical spending rules that say you can that on that they're saying roll our costs into the lease and let us lease this property from you and what really caught my eye about this particular uh proposal which i was tipped off to thank goodness keep those tips coming um is that it's a 15 year term firm 15-year term right it's like you are private prison for you know children we'll we'll give you 15 years of payments guaranteed amazing so so they want to build it so tell me again explain to us why they the lease would circumvent rules that wouldn't allow them to build it so like <clears throat> you've heard of the, the power of the purse with yes. the house of representatives yep well if the house doesn't say you can build this with this money you can't do it if you're the executive. Right. But the GSA has this program where if the government wants to lease space, it can just go out and get leases. And it hires <coughs> it hires these lease brokers. Uh-oh, did I lose you? I think I lost Grant. Oh, there we I'm go. still here. Oh, you're here. Okay, great. So it, 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 uh, it takes these lease brokers and puts them to work for the government acquiring leases. Right. It's not a usual agents do. Most real estate agents want to represent the listing side, but these guys specialize in placing large commercial facilities for tenants only. Right. So the reason it's kind of like a circumvention is that they have the funds available for leasing, but the lease pays for the build out of the facility. Got it. So, so they're financing their facilities using a lease instead of a purchase. Got it. And how much is this going to cost the taxpayers of the United States of America to build 440 beds for people who are just trying to breathe free air? 
Uh, you know, if I could tell you, I would be at their company because they're the ones soliciting the bids. We don't exactly know. They're asking for bids. How much will you charge just for this? Just the build-out part, they've allocated about $7 million for, though. Wow. $7 billion. Yeah. $7 million. $7 million so for the, for the build-out. 440 beds, 110 rooms. This is a relatively small facility. The interior spaces are only about two and a half acres, and they're looking for two acres of playing field. So it's probably like a three to four acre facility. But this is like, to me, like I said, I look at this and I see test run. They're testing the mechanism. Right. They're seeing if people will lease to them. They're going to practice. This is like a practice run. This is not a, a economy of scale proposition. They want to see if they could get away with it, right? I mean, that the president exactly. wants to see if he could get away with it. He wants to see if the judges he put in place will allow him to circumvent the Congress, which it appears to me that the Supreme Court Actually, is willing to let the president circumvent the Congress. I mean, they did it the, with the, the wall Supreme funding. Court had, the Supreme Court had a different legal issue, and I didn't, I didn't agree with them. And legal disputes about standing are pretty much common. But what I would say is this. This is a, a test run to see if they can go full mainstream. And it's not just about circumventing Congress's spending power by using its other authorized money in a different way. That's a big part of it. But the real, to me, the real crooks of this is they're like, is somebody going to bite? Is somebody going to step up and do this for us? Right. That's probably, you know, they're looking for one of these big prison companies to go out and to acquire a lease for them. And, and just to give you an analog to this, um, Walmart behaves in the same way. Walmart, people do not want Walmarts in their neighborhood. So they work with these private developers <clears throat> who white label the development. You don't know what's going on. They're just planning something. And then all of a sudden, it's finished, and they announce that it's a Walmart. Right. And that's kind of how the, the Trump administration is approaching this. But we caught, I mean, it says right in the perspective, this is the National Capital Accompanied Miners Center. Wow. Wow. Playing for children who are being kidnapped from their parents and held now, uh, perhaps. This is horrible. And, and you know, I'm, I'm, I, am, I am fundamentally appro- opposed to private prisons, you know, especially private prisons where they operate in a sense that it's purely for profit and there are very little regulations and rules over them. And now to see them trying to privatize a child prison, it's just disgusting to me. And it just it just speaks to the lowness and the cruelty of this administration. It's amazing to me. Well, you know, to them, it's a mechanism. It doesn't they're going to private, but it does call a contract act. Yeah. So it does kind of indicate that that is the direction they're going. And I would say that this is the even more gruesome and dark echo of what began in Iraq with the shift from, you know, government military operations to all of a sudden privatized, you know, Blackwater commandos, mercenaries, uh, contractors taking over, uh, you know, the business that was traditionally performed by the government. Um, you know, to give you a pop culture hook, if you want to watch the movie War Dogs, which actually I have. happened in Miami, uh, which is where I'm at. I'm actually, I can tell you about two blocks from where they filmed that movie. And, um, you know, that's a prime example of it. Now, there's always been some of this going on forever and ever in time, but this is a much darker, let's say, more twisted version of it than I think we've ever seen in this country. Uh, it's a shame. It is, it's gruesome. Absolutely. By the way, I'm talking to Grant Stern. Uh, you can find him at Grant Stern on Twitter or GrantStern.com. He's a columnist for DCReport.org. You've seen him on Raw Story. Uh, he's got his own radio program down there. If you're ever in Miami, look him up. At Grant Stern on Twitter uh, is where you can find him. Grant, let's talk about uh, 2020 because you're writing books about each of these candidates. You wrote books about the top six. I, I assume that's Biden, Bernie, Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, Buttigieg, and now Cory Booker. Uh, what have you learned about these? What would you say? Good imagination. You, you, you've, uh, what have you learned about these six uh, people trying to become president of the United States? Uh, uh, for starters, I've learned that all of them have a good chance, and Hick and Looper and Inslee do not. Hick and Looper does not? <laughs> Nor Inslee. But, well, they uh, left. They, they figured it out. You know, Inslee's yeah. going to run for governor, and Hick and Looper's going to run for Senate. I think that's important. Yeah. So. No, on a serious note, though. Um, these books are great portraits of each candidate. And, and I, what I learned is who's got the dirty laundry, who doesn't? Um, what does that mean? Is that something that's going to tie them down or maybe they're going to overcome? 
Um, and how does that impact their outlook on a presidential campaign? You know, what kind of performances have they put in? Because each one of these books is about 120 to 130 pages long. They're paperback. You can get them in ebook as well. But each book is packed with anywhere from 150 to 310 references. You know, these are... These are like white papers almost. They really right. dig into everything these folks have ever done. And some things, I feel like that happened to Joe Biden because I wrote extensively about his uh, history in the Senate in the 1970s because I felt like that was a time period that wasn't being captured by right. the typical 500 to 1,000 word political article. And what I found is that he made a very practical, pragmatic politician's decision when it came to all that stuff that they were discussing, uh, you know, at the first debate, which is that his constituents were up in arms over mandatory busing. They despised it. They were organizing over it. Right. They pretty much had a choice to make. Do I deal with their concerns or do I become a one-term senator? And he made the political decision. And, you know, that is unfortunately like what happens, but sometimes you have to represent your constituents. And I think, that's an important part of Joe's story because it happens. Right. You know, he's from Delaware. Delaware is the home to a lot of financial institutions and corporations, and there's certain interests there. So, you know, it tells you a little bit about, you know, what they've had to do to conduct their political career. Right. But reading about these kind of, you know, things in their past, their policies. But on the flip side, I feel like Joe Biden should have read our book about his crime bill because as unpopular as mass incarceration was, which is something that he pretty much went on the record at the time as saying was not a good idea. Um, you know, he was opposed to the three strikes law. Um, but as bad as that was, he got the, the assault weapons ban yep. passed, the, the Sex Offender Registry Violence Against Women Act, which still needs to be reauthorized today. So, I mean, there's a reason why Jim Clyburn voted for that bill. He's in House leadership. There's a reason that Bernie Sanders voted for that bill. Right. You know, and, and I and find I it hard that. to believe that if anybody, anybody that's on that debate stage was in the Senate or the House back when that bill came up, that they would have voted against it. I find I I hate yeah. those kind of like, hey, I would have gotten it 100 percent right because I wasn't there yeah. to try it kind of answers. Right. And it's uh, it's it's nonsense in a lot of ways. And I actually it, used to it, get it mad. And I, I love Barack Obama. He is one of my favorite people on the planet. And in my opinion, the best president in my lifetime. But when Barack Obama was running against Hillary Clinton and he, he, he said, well, I was against the Gulf War. Well, you know, the state of, of, of Illinois was not voting to send people to war. The United States Senate was. And she had to make a decision based, you know, and he didn't. He, it was very easy to oppose it when you didn't when your vote didn't really matter. So it's well, uh, that's true. That is true. But there's also that's a that's a different kind of litmus test. If you know what I mean. Yeah. Like this, the, the crime bills and these things that happened 20, 25 years ago, the outcomes weren't so clear at the outset. Exactly. You know, there was like, like, I can tell you, I remember when the push to go to a war in Iraq was happening. I was writing letters to my editor in the Miami Herald and they were definitely ignoring them. <laughs> right. But, uh, you know, I saw it clear as day that we were being lied to and pushed into this worthless invasion. And it was kind of like, the I was there, man. Was, I worked in was, the U.S. Uh, Senate at the time, and yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I, it was a a fierce internal debate on our staff. Uh, you know, and I won't even say which side I was on, but I know that the senator went to the floor with two speeches because I'm sure it I mean, was a difficult, kind of- difficult decision. And we were New Yorkers, right? We represented New York. And we were attacked, and this guy was saying this was somehow linked in some way, and that if you know we're letting these people support terrorists, it, it, it was nonsense and it was wrong. It, it, it but was. looking back, we know, but we didn't know at the time. You know, though, so you know, I, I never trusted Bush any more than I trusted Trump. And right? It's not because I didn't give him a shot. It's just you know, with who he surrounded himself with, the only upside to Trump is that he didn't have the best and brightest like George W. Bush had to implement some of these terrible policies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, know, hey, it's so not, it's not stopping him from doing horrible, no. gruesome things, but there are even worse things. To get he done. is doing a lot of bad. That's for sure. Now, let me ask you this. So of the six candidates, who surprised you the most and why? Okay. That's a good question. Um, I would say that Cory Booker actually surprised me the most. And in two ways, first of all, you know, he, his way out of Newark policy. And he didn't have to. Okay? He could have just 
moved somewhere very affluent and used his, you know, Oxford, uh, right. This, you know, the Yale, the law degree, and he could have been very prominent in a bigger, or different city. And for all these years, people kind of tend to underestimate Cory Booker's toughness, his realness, his, you know, uh, his abilities in general. And from what I read, he always seems to outperform those expectations. Yeah. And that's really important. Um, it's very, very tough-minded individual, much more than people give him credit for. How can people say he wasn't tough? The guy was an all-American tight end. <laughs> well, he was a better uh, lawyer than tight end, but that's where he kind of got himself into a little bit of trouble because he had some uh, unseemly business dealings, and they actually continued developing his Senate term. And I was surprised to learn, um, as I was writing the, you know, his political history, that you know there was a, per- a period in time where Hillary Clinton was looking for on these in 2016. And everybody expected Booker to be on the list, right? And he wasn't. Like, there's news, you know, stories. Nobody's betting him, right? Right. And it turns out there was actually a trial, and it was held in the federal bankruptcy court over a murky, when I say murky Newark agency, I mean, they had to have a court trial to decide if the Newark Water Company was a corporation, a nonprofit, a public entity, or some combination of those. Wow. And this thing wrapped up like in June of 2016, and like it's two after it wrapped up. Oh yeah, I'm being vetted again. Huh. Interesting. That actually happened. And those are the kind of things that I feel like get lost in the shuffle when people are, people are writing a 500 to thousand word story trying to make a point. You know, you only have so much column space. You want to push your answers and your, what you sort into the story to prove your point. But even with but, uh, that, but even with that murky deal, you, you kind of liked Cory Booker when you did the research on him. You know, he, he won in court. There's no question about it. And at the end of the day, he's very, very sharp. He, like I said, has fought the street fight. He's very tough, a lot tougher than people give him credit for. Yep. And you saw it on the stage at the last debate. He honestly had the best political messaging on that debate, on yep. that stage that night, which was... This is what the Republicans want. I'm not going there. I'm going to go in a different direction. That's very, very shrewd. Yeah. That's actually the best message you could have because it works with anything you say after it. Yeah. 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 Well, he is tough. Look, you can't not, you can't be tough. You can't not be tough and survive Newark politics. Newark politics is crazy. It's a crazy, it's a crazy place. And he kind of got it in line for a little while and it kind of fell apart immediately after he left. But uh, very interesting stuff, I can imagine. Who were you least surprised by? Who, like, you know, were you, did you have a good opinion of going into and then, you you know, you did some research on them and you're like, you know, this guy is just a lot of fluff or this woman's a lot of fluff. Well, I mean, I would say I was least surprised by Elizabeth Warren because going in, I expected virtually Sterling everything and going out, that's really what you get. Sterling, like, Yeah. She's really just sharp as a whip. But... Writing these books helps, you know, define Biden and Warren and Biden and Sanders, which to me seems to be the, the tripolarity of this race as of right now. You know, people say, think that Sanders and Warren are very similar, but they're actually very different. And I'll tell you why. Sanders is a politician, an ideologue, and he uses models from other countries. He says, if another country could do it, we could bring that here. We'll figure right. out our flavor. Okay. He calls himself a socialist, but he's not a smart interventionist right let's be real here socialism is a different thing you own the railroad company you own the airplane company. right you own the means of production he doesn't really you know, know what a socialist there. is <laughs> I, you know scott Dworkin is my series editor he writes the first chapter of each of these books and it's right the political uh, the political opinion part i've had scott on he's, he's a good guy he's a great guy i love scott hey scott how's it going and uh he wrote that he thought that sanders and his politics around himself yeah, what he's doing and, and really kind of define it in a better way. And he went out and said, well, I'm a democratic socialist. Now, uh, Warren is from the market perspective. She studied bankruptcy. Bankruptcy is like studying the cause of all failures. Right. That's what underwriters do to figure out how to give you a home loan and make sure everybody can qualify for it. Or right. Who to insure and who not to. Insure. All so right. She used a lot of market for her stuff. And so, so there's a. So I, I hate to cut you off because I like this. This We should have started with this because this is good stuff. But I only got like 20 seconds left with you. And I got to plug you, man. Grant Stern, I'll have you back again another time. Grant Stern, 
at Grant Stern on Twitter, GrantStern.com. Pick up these books. I'm going to pick them up right now. Uh, he, he's got Meet the Candidates 2020. He's got six of them out right now. Grant, thanks for joining me. I'm going to have you back again soon. My pleasure, Christopher. Have a great night. All right. That was Grant. You know, good stuff. I mean, his uh, phone connection was a little weak. Sorry about that. Uh, but stick around. You're going to want to hear this uh, next bit uh, that I talked about. Uh, my experience uh, growing up in an evangelical home. So stick around. I went to Ringo Starr last week at Bald Hill. I have not seen a concert at Bald Hill since I was... I, I think I went to like some festival there back in like the 90s. Really? Yeah, but it wasn't like anybody, you know, it was a bunch of bands playing there. Zebra was playing there. Randy Jackson oh, yeah. was playing right. there. So I went, and I love Randy Jackson. Mm-hmm. And before that, the last time I was there was like when I graduated high school, like the weekend I graduated, um, Frankie Valley played there. Wow. <laughs> Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons. That's 1989, long time ago. And I went, uh, I went to see them, and uh, that was... Uh, Interesting. So I hadn't been there. I think the last time I was there, there were no chairs there. There were no seats. No, no seats. Yeah. <laughs> just standing room. That only. chalet didn't exist. There was uh-huh. no. It was just grass. So what do you think? I liked it. I you know I, I couldn't believe Ringo Starr was playing at Bald Hill. That's good. Cool. I used yeah. to hang out on the stage Ew. when I was in high school. I used yeah. to go there and drink on the stage. <laughs> there wasn't the same stage. It was whatever no. stage they yeah. had in the eighties there, and it was uh, uh, it was interesting. I mean, see Ringo Starr. You know, the, the star of the show for me, though, I mean, Ringo, it's Beatle. You've seen Ringo. He's, it's always yeah. the same. This is the third time I've seen Ringo. I think that's Hale. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, it's the, the, uh, the uh, there it is. <laughs> Holy smokes. Yeah, they yeah, said it was coming. Uh, the, uh, the, you know, I've seen Ringo. This is my third time. Always great. Always entertaining. He's always the same act. It's like, you know, he does his Beatles songs. He does a couple of hits he does. Yeah. Then he goes and plays drums a little bit. Then he goes takes a break and let the other guys play. Okay. Uh, the star of the show for me was Colin Hay from Men at Work. Yeah. He was good. He was act. He was the Men at Work, though. I come from the land down under. I come from the land down under. Yeah, 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 yeah. He did three <laughs> songs, and he backed up the guy from Toto. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy from Toto, you know, Toto was two guys, and they, and they were great. And they, he sang Africa, and you know the guy that was there doesn't sing the high part. So yeah, Colin Hay sang the high part, and it was great. I mean, just Colin Hay. I mean, he's, he's really. I mean, you know, I mean, if you're if you are a kid. By the way, this is another reason why religion's a joke to me. <laughs> Can I just go into this with you for a minute? All right, here we go. Here we go. Okay. Where you know where Colin Hay is from, right? You know where the men at work were Australia. from. They're from Australia. Yeah. What do we call Australia? Aussies. Oh, what do we actually call it? Yeah, I don't we know. call it the, the land, land down, down under, oh, the land right? Down under. Yeah. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. So uh, I I grew up in uh, a, a evangelical Christian church, and the church we used to go to was called Love Christian Assembly. It was in Center Reach. Some of okay. you might, some of you listening to me might tonight might know it. And the pastor there was a fraud named Tom <laughs> Hollihan, and I'll name him. Because he was a fraud and a scoundrel, yeah. and uh, all the bad things that happened to the televangelists in the eighties, he, so he was, was doing one, it he's too. One of those? Yeah, oh, he was doing it too, right? He, he was involved with them peripherally. Really? Yeah, it was a very big church, like a thousand people kind of church. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so there were two artists that Tom Hollihan used to like to preach against: Cindy Lauper, okay, and uh, Men at Work. Really? And the song that. He always pointed to their demon worship was we come from the land down under because he probably didn't understand that Australia was the land down under. And, you know, I remember being a kid thinking, oh, my God, that's such satanic music. I mean, I grew out of it and I started liking it. But but I remember thinking, oh, and then I realized that I'm in in, in class and somebody saying, you know, talking about Australia and how it was a British colony and it was the land down under. And if you ever listen to the words of that song, it's the goofiest song. It's it's ridiculous. It's a ridiculously goofy, pleasant, fun Uh song. Right. I, I met a woman. She made me nervous. She took me in and she cooked me breakfast. Exactly. I mean, like, there's nothing wrong, right? Maybe a Vegemite sandwich. I met a guy from Brussels. Yeah. He was six foot four and full of muscles. Right. <laughs> That's great. He said, do you speak my language? <laughs> he just smiled and gave me a Vegemite sandwich. sandwich. I mean, like, it's so dumb. But Tom Hollihan, evangelical pastor, uh, you know, who thousand people would come to his church every week and follow and give them 10% of their great. life's earnings. And my parents were poor and we give them 10%. Uh-huh. Uh, said that he was evil. 
that it was an evil thing, the land down under. This is just satanic verses. This is just people saying, this is just a satanic worship song. Really? I mean, and, and, and the other songs they do are really, they're nice, sweet. They're kind of just fun, yeah. kind of like torch songs, like every other mm-hmm. artist. And, and they hated him. Now, Cindy Lauper, I had no idea what she was about. I never heard her music, right? But they would always preach against Cindy Lauper. She's all, right. all for female masturbation. That's the problem. <laughs> she had a song called Shebop. Uh, I remember the song Shebop, which is all about female masturbation. It's, I, I, I tell people this all the time, and they freaking laugh at me. But the reason why I left the church when I was 15 and a half years old okay. was they had preached against Cindy Lauper and how she's the devil and blah, 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 and this evil, evil person. And one night I'm flipping through the channels and there's Cindy Lauper. I didn't know it was Cindy Lauper. Okay. And she was doing a live concert and she was singing a song called Time After Time. Love you know song. that song? Great yeah. song. Yeah, how could you not song. like that song? Beautiful and I just looked at that, and then I realized who it was that was singing. And I go, how is that evil? How is that evil? Like, how is this? And I don't know that evangelical ministers still do this, tell you that music is evil. Yeah. I don't know that they still do it. But in the 80s, that was a big thing. Jimmy Swaggart, all these fakes that mm-hmm. were, you know, all doing their own thing anyway. This was their thing. You know, rock music is bad. It's evil. It's from the devil. You know, the, the men at work are, are Satan worshipers. That's why they talk about the land down under, even though it's Australia. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, the British called it the land down under in the 15th century yeah. because it was way down under the equator. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like, you know, because, you know, because we had a northern centric view of the world. Exactly. So if you were below the equator, you were down under. It was actually a slang towards everything south of the equator. So they came from the land down under and, and you know rather than being insulted by it the australians embraced it we come from the land down under you know it's like give me a break exactly it's like it, they're not the devil they're not like oh uh, we're the demons you know and that's what tom hollahan preached he preached that these guys were the demons that they were evil that they were somehow trying to mold your mind and i don't know you know if anybody out there listening has has any experience with this guy but he was he was good and he was a good speaker. Speaker, yeah. I, yeah, he's I gotta tell you, captivating. I speak a lot like him now, right? I have kind of developed. I don't have that same affect that he had, which even though he was from Long Island, he had kind of like a Southern accent, yeah, like yeah, a yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I can summon that passion too Praise when I speak. Jesus. You know, I, I, I yeah. do it. I do it here all the time. I summon that passion, and that's kind of. And sometimes when I do it, I think about myself like, am I Tom Hollahan? Am I like? <laughs> Am I like? In, am I like doing a Tom Hollahan here? <laughs> I hope I'm not trying to. But it was such a lie. Uh-huh. I mean, it, it, it and it, it, I, I literally when I saw Cindy Lauper, and granted she was strange, strange hair. Yeah, it was the eighties. The eighties were strange. Eighties were strange. Wearing a bunch of uh, tutus, dresses, and, and she had know. scrunchies in her hair and makeup that was weird. Yeah, and she sings this song that is absolutely beautiful. And almost like if you were a Christian, you could almost make it feel like that's Christ talking to you, like what she's saying, right? Basically. Right. Like she's singing as if, if she's singing if to something you. Christ would yes. be singing to you. Yes. Right? Like, so I, and I, when I saw that, I'm like, I just, I literally, I walked into my parents' room and said, I'm never going to church again. I go, I'm never going to church again. I am done with this. I am done with it. He's a liar. I just saw Cindy Lauper on television. I heard her music, and it was beautiful. And I'm not doing it again. I'm not going. They made me go for six more months until I was 16. <laughs> six more months. When I was 16, 16, I was allowed to do my my parents were very strict. Okay, up, very strict. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, it didn't. I don't think this happened with my siblings, but with me, when I turned 16, they're like, "We're done. You're good. Whatever you want to do." You the oldest? I had a, I'm the oldest. Yeah. I had a curfew of ten o'clock when I turned sixteen. No curfew, no more curfew ever again. Really? They never asked me what time I was coming home. Never asked me what time I came in. I was sixteen. I had a driver's license. I had mm-hmm. a car, mm-hmm. and I was allowed to stay out all night if wow. I wanted to. Now, 
None of my friends were allowed to stay out all night. Yeah, so no, I didn't stay out exactly. all night. Exactly. That's the thing. Sometimes but I did. I could have if I wanted Sometimes to. I did. I had a job. You know, uh-huh. I worked at the mall and I would meet some strange people and I would stay out all night. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not really. Not often. Every now and then, you know, I would sneak in. There was a place in, in Huntington called the Salty Dog. The Salty Dog of Huntington. Come on down. And it was like 18 to enter, 21 to drink. Yeah. And I had a, I had a fake ID and I'd go in and you know, I'd meet women that were like 25 and I was 16 years <laughs> old and I, and I would w stay out level. all night and then they would find out that I was in high school and they'd be like, get out of my house now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it happened more than once. Uh, and I used to go see Zebra at Sundance. You know, I mean, you do a music show, and you know, talk about you should have some people come on your show on the Bill okay. show and talk about this rock venue that was the last rock venue to close. I mean, I guess there's a new rock venue in Patchogue, which is great, but there was a rock venue in in um, Babylon or West Islip called Sundance Bayshore. It was in Bayshore, and it was just just place that would have rock bands and fingers from bab would we would be there some nights doing his thing and he used to be scary back in the day but i went to see zebra at sundance and zebra wouldn't even come on till 1 a.m sometimes yeah 1 a.m so i would go out and i, I would when when i was going to see zebra in, in babylon i would stay at my grandmother's house my grandmother never asked me what time i was coming home so it was and i would go and i would see zebra in babylon and I'd sometimes get a friend to come with me, and we would just sleep over my grandmother's house. So nobody knew. Your mic's not working, Mike. Ah, broken. It's broken. So, and we would stay out all night. We'd say, you should get. Yeah. Uh, you should get a. You should get a group of people who used to play play there, play there or there. work there, or go there mm-hmm. and talk about that place. It was a wild place. Sundance revival. Sundance. I used to have friends whose bands would play. There? Yeah, I had, I had a friend whose band was playing there. Uh-huh. They were called the Freestyle Boogie Flickers. They were a funk band. And they were playing there one night, and the place was packed. And I go, why is this place packed? They're like, there's a rumor the Rolling Stones are coming here tonight. Oh, Dude, man. They're working out for their new tour. They're going to come down. I don't know if they came down, but uh, my friend's band had a huge crowd that night. So very interesting stuff. But it, it, that's the thing, right? right? We, we, we fall into these traps of lies. And I feel like the evangelical movement today is worse than it was in the 80s when it was telling us not to like Cindy Lauper and Men at Work. I feel... I, I feel like, saying, but like I guess we don't see it a lot up here, you know. Well, it's here, the, but like you Trust know, me, I, I, I don't see like other than what we, what we talk about, you know. Right. I don't really. I don't see it firsthand, you know. But I, I'm not a religious guy at all either, so maybe you know I, I don't try to focus on it. I don't see it that much, but it is definitely here. I mean, it's clearly there in the South, and yeah. it's clearly in in parts of the you know the reddest parts of this country. You got to ask yourself the question: Why are Democrats like, you know, you put a D on the ballot in some states, and it's like forget it, you're not going to win. Right. Because it's an evangelical state where, you know, 70 percent of the people are evangelicals and Democrats still want to get 40 percent of the vote in those states. But 60 percent, you know, are, are voting for the Republican because the church is telling them to vote certain ways. And the church is telling them to vote against their interests. You look at states like Kansas, you got good, hardworking, God fearing people who are being lied to by the Tom Hollihan's of Kansas. Yeah, that rain is crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> I, I feel like I should do another hour of sh- of radio, so I don't have to go out in it. Right. Uh, but it, it is. We're good to go. We can do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's uh. It's uh. It's amazing to me, uh, that that this still exists. That people don't have that Cindy Lauper moment. You know, especially with Trump. You know, I mean, you would think that with Donald Trump in the White House, that a lot of evangelicals who have been encouraged by their pastor to support this scoundrel. And he is a scoundrel. A guy who, guys, you know, evangelicals out there, the guy called himself the king of Israel. We all know who the king of Israel was. Jesus. The president of the United States just called him king. Don't you think that's maybe a, a time to pick up the phone, call your pastor and go, hey, um, he just called himself the king of Israel. <laughs> What's up with this? What's <laughs> up with that? Isn't that a Cindy Lauper moment for you? He, by the way, he didn't just accidentally say it like he was just saying, I'm the king. I'm the king of Israel, like he does, like bragging. He tweeted it. He took the time to type it out. It's not a gaffe. He said he was the king of Israel. He called himself the chosen one. Now, I don't know if he was if he's invested in the new Matrix movie. And, you know, he wants us all to start thinking about Neo uh, Did you read up anything on that? I just saw that it's coming out. 
And I, I don't thought hear, he died. I thought he died. Did I don't he die? hear about. I, I don't hear about like the resurrection. Morpheus. I don't hear about Morpheus either in it. That's the other thing. Uh, yeah, I don't think he signed on to be. I movie. hear about the two of the, the two lead, the other two leads. But where's Morpheus? Morpheus was my favorite character, not in the last one, in the first one. I loved Morpheus. Um, but I, I don't, I don't understand how that's not a Cindy Lauper moment for you, where you just say, "Yeah, you know what? I've had enough of this guy." And if this guy's lying to me about Trump, he's lied to me about everything, right? He's lied to me about everything. He's a scoundrel. Maybe he speaks well. Maybe his, you know, his speeches can move passions in people and can inspire you, but he's lying. Oh, and by the way, just like Tom Hollihan and some of these other guys who were, you know, the, the Jim Bakers of the world and the Jimmy Swaggerts and... The other televangelists that got caught up in the scandal, they were living a lie. They were telling you to do one thing and they were doing a complete opposite thing. You know, now we have these people preaching this prosperity gospel. Are you freaking kidding me? The Bible right there says it is easier for a camel to pass through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven. And yet the prosperity gospel is what's being preached by the supporters of Donald Trump today saying, oh, these poor people that are coming up from the Central America, they must have done something to deserve that poverty. Just like your ancestors when they came here. What did they do to deserve the poverty? What did your grandmother do to deserve the poverty? It's nonsense. Where's your Cindy Lauper moment? You know, where is it? Are you, when are you going to break down and say enough is enough? I've been lied to enough. I was told during the Clinton years and the Obama years that character mattered. That character was the most important thing in an official and a leader. Now I've got a president with no character. Say what you want about Obama. He was a good, honest human being who always tried to do the right thing. Who was a good family man. I don't think you could say that about this guy. Can you? I know you can't. So where's your moment? Where are you going to call him out? When are you going to stand up and say enough's enough? When are you going to do that? How are you going to figure that out? You know, when you're, when you're, when you're, um, when your pastor is calling Elizabeth Warren a socialist because she, you know, really understands bankruptcy and she's not a socialist she just has a different view of things isn't that kind of like your pastor saying it's evil that men at work are singing about the land down under when they're just from australia it's nonsense there's too much of it stop it all right i hope you stuck around and heard this whole show i know it's a little longer than normal almost an hour and if you liked it shoot me a text or you know Tweet at me, at Christopher Hahn on Twitter. Go to ChristopherHahn.com. You can email me there. Um, tell a friend. The podcast is doing well, uh, but it could do better. And I want to remind you now, as always, to seek the truth. Question everything and everyone, even me, America. Seek the truth. I know it's out there, and I know you'll find it if you look hard enough. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening, America. Hey, America, Christopher Hahn here, the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. What is with the president and the right-wing echo chamber encouraging these astroturf protests against stay-at-home orders around the country. It's ridiculous, and it needs to stop. Check out the Aggressive Progressive Podcast wherever you download podcasts. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, COVID continues to reshape the law. Supreme Court arguments will be held by teleconference. The justices won't even know if the lawyers are wearing pants, which is fair given the eternal mystery of what's under those black robes. Los Angeles County is springing 25% of its inmates. The sheriff suggests folks get ready for what might be a spike in crime. Check it all out on the next episode of Too Many Lawyers. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. 
Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.